And welcome to the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. So glad you could join us. As usual, it is presented by Coors Light. He's Jeff Fegels. I'm Lance Meadow. We got a jam-packed show. We're going to preview two more Giants opponents for the upcoming season. Right off the top, we'll focus on the Vikings. Then we'll transition to the Redskins. Plus your calls at 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. You can also interact with us on Twitter using hashtag GiantsChat. So right off the top, we will focus on the Minnesota Vikings. And to further break down what to expect from the Vikings this season, we are now joined by Matthew Collar. He covers the Vikings for Score North, 1500 ES. ESPN Radio in Minnesota. Matthew, you got Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegels here on Giants.com. Greatly appreciate the time today. How's everything? Everything is going well, guys. I cannot wait for training camp. We've been uh, doing ranking lists and countdowns <laughs> and everything else. Like, I, I want some football, man. Yeah, well, that's great. If you ever played football, you wouldn't be saying that right now. If you were, if everybody <laughs> hates training camp. What are you kidding me? No, I'm. I think we're all about the same way, uh, Matthew. And it's 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 an exciting time of the year and. You know, as I remember from a former player, this time there's like a lull. You kind of get into like, you come back from your vacations and then you're sitting in your living room and you're going, God, I got 10 days left. What am I going to do with these 10 days before I go through this training camp? And it was kind of a, an anxious period and you used to check the days off and, and get excited to go play. And I guess as a Vikings fan, you got to be a little excited about this team. And so I know that Lance is going to ask you a couple questions and of course I'll, I'll try to and I heard you're a big you're a big punter fan, so we'll get into Matt Wild later. But um, you know, it just kind of maybe gives a little synopsis on what's going on with the Vikings this year. Yeah, no, for sure. Actually, I'm going to need you to break down some old school guys. How about Tom Tupa? Oh Red yeah, Roby maybe potentially. Oh. Um, now we're talking. Those were my guys back in the day. Now we're talking, <laughs> and then of course Dan and, and Lance they love punting too, so we're oh, all going to get along real well with this. That's show. our favorite position <laughs> by default. That's our favorite position, Matthew. Uh, so, so to answer your question, the, the kind of basic overview here is that it's a, a real make-or-break season for a lot of people in the Minnesota Vikings organization. I mean, if you start with the head coach, Mike Zimmer, I mean, I think he is widely respected around the league and here in Minnesota as well. But when you set the bar so high to make the NFC Championship two years ago and then you sign a, a better quarterback, or at least you tell everyone that he's going to be better, you don't make the playoffs, then the seat gets a little hot. And uh, I think that that's kind of the general feeling going in for, for Zimmer, for Kirk Cousins. You know, the Vikings are going to have to decide whether he's their true franchise long-term quarterback or whether they should start looking for other options because he's only on a, a short deal. He signed a three-year deal, so this is year two of three, and this is when you start deciding, okay, are we going to give this guy – a contract extension and, and last year a lot of the blame fell on the shoulders of John D. Filippo who is the offensive coordinator so they have named Kevin Stefanski the OC they've brought in Gary Kubiak who I've been calling the OG right uh, I've had a lot of time to think of these things guys over, over apparently the yeah um, so but, but, you know, I, I mean, this is a team with a ton of talent across the board, and I think it's very fair for ownership and for the fans as well to set the bar extremely high. And, and if they're not a team that's one of the best in the NFC, then we may see some major changes. And I think that everybody in Minnesota is feeling that pressure. 
Well, I think you hit on a number of key aspects, Matthew, in terms of changes on the offensive side of the ball. And if you look back at 2018, the one thing that jumped out to me about the Vikings is it just didn't seem like there was the balance that we were so used to seeing previously, Matthew, in terms of the passing game versus the running game. And I'm sure that was one of the things that fueled the change at OC. But what is the outlook for the running game this season? With Dalvin Cook a little bit more removed from that torn ACL, you don't have Latavius Murray, Jarek McKinnon. Kinnan moved on previously to the Niners. You know, are they convinced that Cook's going to be the workhorse, or are there still some question marks there in terms of what could be done out of the backfield? Yeah, so I think Mike Zimmer would strongly agree with your statement that they needed more balance from last year. And I think that there was a breaking point in New England where Delvin Cook was back fully healthy, and he ran something like nine times for 75 yards, but only got the ball nine times. And that just sent Mike Zimmer through the roof because he's a huge believer in Delvin Cook as a complete game changer. And I could tell you that when Cook came in as a rookie, and I know he ended up tearing his ACL that year, but in training camp he was going up against Murray and McKinnon, two proven backs, and he just blew right by them. I mean, I think his talent level is so outstanding, not only from a running back, but also he can go out and play wide receiver if you want him to. You throw him a swing pass, and he can break it for a touchdown at any time. And so his ability to create big plays is why Mike Zimmer wants to get him the ball more often. He'll take a few two- or three-yard runs if you're going to get you know, that 20-, 30-yard run or, or a big touchdown or something like that, which I think Delvin on any play has that capability. The big question, of course, is whether he's going to be able to stay healthy. And I, I think that last year, and I'm, I'm not a doctor, guys, but my understanding is that the ACL recovery had something to do with the hamstring, that he wasn't really able to have a full, complete offseason. So this year, the fact that he is able to have a full, complete offseason season uh they're going to be giving him the ball i think 20 times on the ground and throwing it to five to eight more times in the air i I think that they want to have him be the centerpiece even though they have cousins and they're paying him all the money they've got two of the better receivers in the league i think they want everything to start with delvin cook and his talent justifies that it's just can he handle that workload and they must think so because aside from drafting a running back in the third round they have put no kind of backup plan or parachute in if Delvin Cook does not stay healthy. Well, I think that, you know, we all we saw him coming out of college and knew he was going to be an amazing running back. And it was unfortunate that he got hurt and he was able to get back into into some games at the end of the year. And you know how injuries take a little while to to work themselves out. But I, I think that he's going to have an outstanding year if, in fact, that that offensive line can hold up because, you know, last year, uh, that offensive line was a disaster. I know that the Vikings, they went out and got Garrett Bradbury out of North Carolina State. Talk a little bit about that offensive line because if that holds up and you have, um, hello, Dalvin. I couldn't, couldn't think Cook. of his yes. name. Um, <laughs> they had to get him behind that offensive line and get that thing going. Their running game then it will help their passing game for sure. No, you're, you're absolutely right that the offensive line's improvement in terms of your offseason storylines – I've said to people before, like, you don't understand that Vikings fans obsess over this offensive line because during the entire Mike Zimmer era, they have just not been able to figure this out. You know, even going back to Teddy Bridgewater and and just I believe he was number one in the league, most pressured quarterback in 2015, and he was able to overcome it because he was kind of savvy in the pocket. But Kirk Cousins, that's not the way I would describe him. I mean, he's not 
gonna you know uh, break a couple of tackles like Ben Roethlisberger or something or take off like Russell Wilson that's really not Kirk Cousins game he wants to drop to the exact spot he's supposed to drop and execute the play he's supposed to execute and last year there were many many times that he was not able to do that because of the pass rush especially the interior pass rush and when you guys look at the uh, the the NFC North and the interior defensive linemen they have I think Akeem Hicks is the most underrated player in the entire NFL or maybe I just think that because he demolished the Vikings every time <laughs> they played the Chicago Bears last year. He did more damage to the Vikings than even Khalil Mack did. And so that's one of the main reasons that they've gone out and drafted Garrett Bradbury as high as they did. And the other bonus to drafting the center is that they can move Pat Elfline over to guard where he was actually better in college. But the biggest questions for me are at the tackle positions. It's going to be the same two tackles as last year. Brian O'Neill is a really athletic right tackle but he really just didn't, wasn't able to anchor against some of those amazing pass rushers off the edge and got driven back into the, uh, into the quarterback all the time. And Riley Reef's getting up there in age. I, you know, he's uh, been around a little while. He's dealt with some injuries. Last year he was playing through a lot of injuries. And uh, you guys know, I mean, if you have a quarterback that isn't going to make up for that outside pressure uh, and then you have to go to a backup tackle or something like that, it's going to look a lot like – last year even if the running game is a little bit improved it i think it, it still comes down to can those two, two tackles hold up against the great uh, edge rushers in the nfl well and interestingly matthew you know, kirk cousins is used to having some offensive line issues and maybe not necessarily consistent running game because in his last few years in washington he dealt with very similar storylines now that doesn't mean you're going to single-handedly overcome it so i don't think it's stunning to see some of the ups and downs in minnesota but if he does get good pass protection he has the establishment of a running game we've seen you know cousins could certainly thrive and it also helps with the wide receiver personnel as well as them also locking up kyle rudolph and I don't think anybody expects them maybe to fall off in terms of their production. But, you know, to me, the big question with Minnesota is, is this going to be the season, Matthew, where a third wide receiver emerges or another weapon that we're not used to hearing other than Diggs and Thielen? And I know Laquan Treadwell is not far removed from being a draft pick and just it's never clicked. It, it, are they beyond hope with Treadwell? Is there somebody else that's fallen under the radar? How do you see perhaps the third wide receiver spot playing out this year? Yeah, I wouldn't be actually surprised if Laquan Treadwell got cut uh, if he doesn't have a really great camp because I think that they've kind of reached the end of their rope of hearing about how, no, 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 this year is the year that Laquan figures out how to run routes or, or get the offense right or whatever. It's like, okay, you know, I mean – yeah, you guys know how this is with someone, anybody who's drafted high. It's you know the first year as a reporter, you're sort of like, okay, I guess I could I could see that maybe something went wrong or whatever. After two years, after three years, all right, okay, I, I think I know what I've got with Laquan Treadwell, and they've got some other intriguing names. One of them, Chad Beebe. Uh, you guys would remember Don Beebe. It, yep. It's his son, and he was a guy who didn't even have a contract. Came in a tryout for them last year and ended up making the practice squad and then ends up on the active roster. And they really like what they've seen from him. He's kind of your ultimate underdog type of guy, but he's also like a great route runner. He has extremely quick feet. And Gary Kubiak shouted him out uh, in OTAs as a guy who really stood out to him. So I think that there's a possibility there. But really, if, if I were betting on who that other weapon is going to be, the fourth weapon beyond Rudolph and Thielen and Diggs, I would have to say it's Irv Smith. Uh, who they drafted in the second round, that I, I think that Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski want to run 
a lot of bigger personnel. They want to use their fullback. They want to use Irv Smith uh, in a lot of different situations. He can actually play fullback at times, but he's fast enough where you can move him out for a wide receiver. And, I mean, I think they want some of those situations where you can use two tight ends to get a little look at the defense. You know, are they playing the man coverage? Are they playing zone? Put them out at a wide receiver and see who stays out there. You know, those types of things that are big advantages for offenses. And I, and I think that uh, offenses today are kind of going one way or the other. They're either using the 11 personnel like the Rams do on every play and trying to get, you know, those boxes that are easy to run against, or they're using big personnel and play action all the time uh, try to get the other team to put three linebackers on the field. And I think that that's the direction the Vikings will go rather than trying to establish a true number three wide receiver. Let's go to the defensive side here. Um, a little disappointment last year with from the Vikings um, on the defensive side. You know, they lose Sheldon Richardson. Okay, so you get a little bit of loss there. Um, the additions are Shamar Stefan. Stefan, how do you say that? I butcher names here, by the way, Matthew. You're, However you want. Yeah, okay. It's fine. It's, uh, and then, <laughs> I mean, I'm, look, you're lucky I didn't butcher your name. You're easy. Matthew is a really good one for me. Um, talk a little bit about the defensive side of the football and tell us what we can expect out of that defense. Yeah, so the uh, addition of Shamar Stefan okay. um, is uh, an interesting one. He, he was a part of the team for a couple of years. They drafted him as a seventh rounder, and then he went to Seattle for a year and came back. But I, that position, though, that if you circle that, that's the most interesting on the defense because Sheldon Richardson was a monster. I mean, nobody ever questions if Sheldon Richardson could play football. It was whether he could keep his speed under 130 or whatever, right, on, mm -hmm. on the road. So, it was, I mean, but from what I saw of Sheldon Richardson last year, he was a beast. I mean, he was uh, really tough to handle, especially the pressure up the middle on opposing teams. And you know, they just don't really have that guy now. Shamar Stephan is more of a run stuffer. They've got some guys that they've drafted, Jaleel Johnson, Jalen Holmes. There's another undrafted guy they kind of like, uh, Hercules Mata'afa, who might make the team. But nobody is really quite sure exactly how they're going to rotate in. And the one thing that I've learned from just watching Mike Zimmer for a few years here covering the team is that he always seems to find a solution to whatever problem they have. You know, somebody gets hurt. Like last year, Xavier Rhodes and Trey Wayans both had injuries at times, and he made adaptations to his defense and threw in Holton Hill, who was an undrafted guy, and Holton Hill played great. And it's, it just is a trend with Zimmer that I think he's one of the brightest defensive minds out there that maybe this year what you'll see is Shamar stepping in on rundowns, and then they'll mix in maybe Everson Griffin lines up over the guards or something like that, and they use um, Stephen Weatherly on the outside. Or they last year, all of a sudden, it was about maybe week six or seven, they started using zone blitzes on third down, which before Mike Zimmer had always had double A gap blitzes up the middle on third downs. And then all of a sudden, you're seeing defensive ends drop back in coverage and things like that, and opposing quarterbacks were completely lost. Uh, I think they sacked Detroit 10 times in a single game uh, when they decided to switch up defenses. So, you know, I, I think it's very rare that you have a defense that you can count on year to year to write down, okay, we know that they're going to be a top 10 defense. It's just, are they number one or are they number seven? But anytime Zimmer's in charge and the amount of talent they have, you know, bringing back Anthony Barr too, uh, I, I think that's one of those things that would be very surprising if they dropped off as a defense. 
We're talking with Matthew Collar. He covers the Vikings for Score North 1500 ESPN Radio in Minnesota. And as you just pointed out, Matthew, I think that's what has separated Mike Zimmer and the Vikings from the rest of the NFL. The continuity that they've been able to maintain on defense is a big reason why that unit has been so good. And you brought up Everson Griffin, and we were talking about Sheldon Richardson and some of his off-the-field issues. Well, Griffin wound up missing a number of games because of some personal issues off the field, yet you know, seemed to produce when he came back. What is the outcome? look for him this season and how confident they are in being able to have him for 16 games yeah he's a really interesting situation because I thought after the second half of the season he was still good but he wasn't the same guy uh in 2017 he had a case for being the best defensive end all around uh in the entire NFL I think at least halfway through that season we were talking about is like is he going to get 20-something sacks you know because he was dominating so much and then last year he started off well you're right, had the personal issue when he came back. It just didn't have the same sort of pop, which I would understand just being in the middle of the season and you have to go uh, you know, deal with your personal issues and come back. It could not have been easy for him at all. But I found it to be really interesting that the Vikings restructured his contract to make sure they kept him around. With their salary cap issues, they very easily could have said, okay, bye-bye, Everson Griffin, thanks yeah. for your service but we'll take that $10 million and put it into a guard or a tackle or a number three wide receiver. And instead, they said, no, we, we want him to be back across from Daniil Hunter. And to me, that says that they must believe he's back into his early 2018 and 2017 shape. I think if it were me, I probably would have tried to surround Kirk Cousins with a little more talent or, or fill out that offensive line a little bit better than Josh Klein using that cap space just because of Everson's age and what he's been through but when he's at his best he has an unbelievable motor like if you go back and, and I love to do this watch the coaches tape after the game and you focus on Everson Griffin there are literally no plays off and I, I think that that type of drive is sort of the motor of the entire defense and when he was gone last year it was kind of noticeable that that leadership part of it was lacking a little bit, too. It didn't seem like there was the same sort of level of intensity, and, and that's probably part of it as well. And it is amazing, and I can't think of too many times I've ever seen this before, guys, where a defense stays together like this, and a lot of guys take restructured contracts, lesser contracts. Daniil Hunter's contract is highway robbery for the Vikings. Uh, it, it really is uh, incredible, and this defense – to a man, they say they believe that they can lead this team to a championship, and that's why they want to be here. And usually that's just like cliches, but their uh, actions have shown that that's what they truly believe. Yeah, it's remarkable how Minnesota has been able to retain the services uh, of so much defensive personnel. I, I agree with you. I I've really marveled from afar how effective they've been. Well, since we have Jeff Fiegels here, we've got to get to the special teams unit, or else it would be cheating the audience and cheating you, Matthew. And, you know, I, I want to turn to the kicking game. Because, as you well know, with a number of teams in the NFL, they just have had a hard time working out the kinks in the kicking game to uh, play off the alliteration there. And Dan Bailey was brought along, but, you know, even he had some of his ups and downs, not necessarily automatic like he was in Dallas. Uh, how confident are they that this is not going to be a season where they've got to deal with some of those previous headaches? Well, I think it tells you how confident they aren't with the fact that they hired a kicking consultant coach in, in Nate Kading. So you got an extra person who's been brought in uh, to keep Mike Zimmer away from the kickers. <laughs> Last year, it was just, it's just a bizarre, and, and I don't blame Zimmer for this, but I think kickers are like the bane of his existence. I mean, we know the Blair Walsh thing, but it hasn't yeah. just been that. 
It was that they brought Blair Walsh back after he shanked it in 2015 to lose the playoff game, and then he was horrendous the first half of the year, and they lost some games because of that and missed the playoffs by one game. And then last year, I believe they had the most misses or the lowest percentage of any team combined. They draft a kicker last year. He misses three field goals in Green Bay. They tie the game because of that instead of win. That's the difference between making the playoffs. Like if if Mike Zimmer just had Adam Vinatieri, he'd be like the best coach in the league. <laughs> it's it's really wild. So this year, I think that they have tried to not put any pressure on Dan Bailey at all. They believe he's back to being full health. He had dealt with some. Uh, issues with the health in, in Dallas, and I'm not sure he was entirely 100%. But if we get halfway through camp, a couple preseason games in, and there's some shank field goals, I mean, the heat is going to get turned way up on Dan Bailey. And it's just, I don't know, guys. It, it was really crazy to me. Kai Forbath hit a 52-yard field goal in a playoff game that the Vikings end up going on to win to give them a lead in the fourth quarter, 52 yards, and they didn't bring him back the next year. And it was like, you guys are just playing with fate here, aren't mm-hmm. you? So it's, yeah. a, it's, one, it's one of the things that I think we focus on probably. We're like top five in the league and reporters focusing on kickers. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. They don't have as much problem as, the, as your other people down in the same division. That would be the Chicago Bears. Talking about a nightmare <laughs> in that situation. Holy smokes. But, I, you know, I listen. I, I think that kickers are a different breed. You know that, Matthew. And the fact is, is that yep. Dan Bailey is a guy that, and, you know, I, I feel like he was just hurt all last season. He's still one of the most accurate kickers in the in the history of the league. Um, so I think if he can get back healthy, like you said, um, that's and he's kicking indoors, which is another good thing for him. Uh, I think that he should be able to handle that that position and be fine with it the rest of the season, hopefully. Because you know, really, when you look back on it and in these games, they, they're they're so close sometimes. You know, these field goal kickers. You know, a lot of people don't like them, and you go practice on the side, and nobody wants to deal with them. But for God's sakes, they're the ones that win your games to put you in yeah. the playoffs, and they're also <laughs> ones that lose your games and keep them out. Yeah, no, you're right. And I, I think that uh, Dan Bailey is a really unflappable type of guy. Correct. So even when he has struggled, he has, he has that, even when you talk to him, sort of that veteran uh, presence to him where he, he doesn't ever seem shaken, where I, I would say the exact opposite for Blair Walsh uh, in my experience. I was going to ask you though, Jeff, what about the, what about the long snapper and holder? I mean, how much does this affect it? The Vikings drafted a long snapper. Mm-hmm. It's kind of baffling to draft a long snapper, okay. uh, but how much does that impact it? Cause well, I think that they're looking at that. Well, of course they are. And I, we've talked about this on the program before about, um, you know, when you have these guys working together, just like a center and quarterback exchange, okay? If you put a different center in there, yeah, he's still going to be able to snap the football to the quarterback, but there's a different feeling. It's a different way that the ball comes back under center. Same thing with snapper, holding kicker. The longer they're together, the more they practice, the better off they're going to be. If they're, if they're not in, they're, they're interchangeable parts, okay? But, you know, if you're putting the wrong brakes on a Mercedes, it's not going to work. So if you have that, you're changing the positions all the time. So bringing in a long snapper, you drafted him. He'll have all the time to work together in the on the off season, and then of course during training camp. So that will help. Uh, I'm assuming that Matt Wild holds, and you know that's that's a good thing because he if he did, he held for Dan Bailey last year. Um, I think the more importantly of the three positions, if you're going to change one of them, um, I think the long snapper would be the one that you could change. The holding position, mm-hmm. because the holder, after the end result, is the guy gets the ball and puts it down for the kicker, right? So that's the one that you don't want to mess up a lot. And I think that 
you know, when you have to start messing with the holder and the kicker and the, and the long snapper, there's going to be some things that go wrong there. But the more those guys can work together, the better off they will be, Matthew. I can tell you that. That's an awesome breakdown. That's fantastic. I'm going to use all of that. You can use every, (laughs) you know, and listen, go to giants.com. We're recording the pot, this thing right now. You can watch it and see if you want some notes, you know, (laughs) we'll, we'll provide the transcription later on. on Feel free, Matthew. You can use all of that knowledge. He is Matthew (laughs) Collar who covers the Vikings for score North 1500 ESPN radio in Minnesota. Matthew, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks so much for breaking down the Vikings for us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. Have a good one. Thank you, Matthew. As the Giants and the Vikings will collide as we look back over here at our schedule. That is going to be in Week 5, October 6th. The Vikings are going to come visit the Giants, a 1 p.m. Eastern kickoff. So that will be an early season matchup. And, you know, the more and more we talk to reporters who cover teams and broadcasters, it just goes to show you, as good as some of these teams were last season, Jeff, everybody's got question marks. Everybody well, they have has to concerns. Everybody does. And I think, you know, with the Vikings, I think that, and, and this is just from listening to Matthew and, and doing a little bit of research on these teams, we don't do a whole lot of it. But when you listen to these guys, you kind of soon realize where the where the where the needs are and what has to improve for that team to get better the defense has always stayed together because they have a defensive coach and that's my opinion and i think he's he's in those meetings and he has those guys and he wants those the, his defensive players it just goes to show you that they re-sign a guy who you know is a high energy guy and when he's gone they noticed how that has that that kind of went away well, that's, that's kind of the leadership sometimes you don't talk a lot about. It's, it's what you lead on the field with rather than the vocal leader. So teams will sign guys back like that. But offensively, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on Kirk Cousins. When you think about him making, what, $90 million guaranteed, and he's only in the second of his third-year contract, and they're already starting to talk about maybe is he going to be the guy again? Holy smokes. $90 million bucks they're going to put in his pocket. He better play well this year. Um, and I think that, you know, last year – he puts a lot of pressure, and a lot of guys do this. They put pressure on themselves when they come into a position because there is pressure. You know, you're the highest paid guy that's ever played the position. Ninety million dollars guarantee. I, I mean, I think that that guy can handle it because he's pretty cocky. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he is a guy that can really. He's got confidence. The, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think that things around him has to be improved in that offensive line. And, and again, get Delvin Cook back. That's a, he is an outstanding running back. I love to watch that guy play. I'm with you. I think that Cook is more than capable of handling the load. So I'm not that concerned that the Vikings haven't addressed perhaps the sure. depth chart. I know they brought in Amir Abdullah, who's a veteran who's with the Lions. And they've got all the pieces. If that offensive line comes together, as we talk a lot about here with the Giants, I would expect the Vikings to bounce back. I think this is a team that has too good of a coaching staff, too good of a group of talent. And here's the other thing that I think gets somewhat overshadowed, Jeff, when we talk about the pressure on Kirk Cousins. He had 30 touchdowns and 10 interceptions last season, completed 70% of his passes. Those are really good numbers. They are outstanding, especially the 10 interceptions. I mean, the 30 touchdowns. Um, you know, that's, yeah, I agree with you. And it, and it's, and it really, it's, it, it, you don't get the, you don't say, oh, wow, what a great year because they didn't do well, the team. You know, that's exactly what happens. Some guys have beautiful seasons, but it's lost in the shuffle because they didn't make the playoffs. Um, the expectations this year got to be even higher that. Does he have to play better than that? You know what? I don't know how much better he has to play. 30 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. 
I mean, so what, throw five more touchdowns on there and maybe one less interception or something? That's still a pretty good season. Yeah, it's more of the dynamics of the offense, the right. establishment of the running game, and, of course, the offensive line. And now we are going to turn our attention back to the NFC East, the team that the Giants are going to be seeing, as usual, two times this season, the Washington Redskins. And to break down Washington and talk about what to expect from them in 2019, we are now joined by their radio play-by-play announcer, Larry Michael. Larry, you got Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegels with you here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time. How's everything today? Hi, Larry. Fantastic. How are you guys doing today? We're well, doing very well. Good. And we are inching closer to the start of the season, as I'm sure you are, anticipating training camp and us getting back to the X's and O's and the physicality of football and clearly a huge storyline surrounding the Washington Redskins. No better place to start than the quarterback position, Larry. They acquire Case Keenum, Colt McCoy trying to return to health after the injury last year, and then, of course, Dwayne Haskins being drafted. So as it goes heading into training camp uh, what do you say about the quarterback position the battle who's right now in the driver's seat in terms of at least being under center for week one i think that driver's seat is open right now i think it's like one of those teslas you know <laughs> where the doors it's, go up it's one of those cars that drives itself right now and then uh, hopefully keep it on the green you know, i don't know right now i think what uh, obviously with the quarterback situation that unfolded during the draft we will have plenty of discussions over the years about the quarterbacks on our respective teams which i think is healthy for the rivalry and obviously adds a little sidebar to everything that happens but right now i mean the coach coaches said several times quarterback competition and we really haven't seen something like that in a while i mean a pure quarterback competition and you guys know the cast of characters you got case keenum um who has you know pretty much proven what he can do as a starter in his time that he's played you have colt mccoy who's been kind of banged up over time and you have dwayne haskins jr the first round pick so but you'd have to you know be on mars not to figure out that dwayne haskins was drafted with that first round pick to be the starter one day so the question becomes what happens at camp how important are these preseason games, if at all? We've kind of dis- discounted these preseason games for so many years now, but I really believe in this instance what we see in preseason might give you a little bit of an indication, or it could put somebody back if they don't play well in one of those games. It's got the fans excited, that's for sure. Everybody likes the quarterback controversy in this town. Not quite a controversy yet. It's a competition. Mm-hmm. But once they start uh, making plays or making mistakes, it'll, 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 it'll heat up. Well, I think, you know, you have two veteran guys there in this competition that are going to give uh, Dwayne Haskins a run for his money just because of the of the leadership and the experience they has. However, you know, you look at Dwayne Haskins and the upside to him is, is his athleticism, his big arm, things like that. What does Dwayne Haskins, in your opinion, Larry, have to do in these in training camp or in these preseason games to earn the starting job? Or do you think, in your mind, um, can he do it? I think he can do it. I mean, I think, and again, you know, the coach has stated that it's a competition. So if it is a competition, uh, then obviously for him, he's got to play mistake-free when he gets first-team reps. Still don't know how those reps are going to be distributed during training camp. We'll find out uh, a week from tomorrow's first day of practice in Richmond. So we'll we'll get our first taste then. But just to, you know, play error-free, learn the playbook, Take command of the huddle. He's got he's got a lot to learn. As as much physical ability as he has, he's still a rookie, and you know didn't have to call plays. You know they had the play calling system from the sidelines at Ohio State, and there's a lot of nuances that he has uh, he's got to get coached up on. But you know that big arm obviously is something you can't you can't overlook. So. This becomes a very interesting battle because of what Case Keenum, you know what he can do. 
and, and it's his first year in the offense, but he's been just about every offense there is. And Dwayne is just purely clean out of school. But Dwayne has been very reserved. Uh, he hasn't, you know, he's been he's been just watching, learning. I think he's been doing what they wanted him to do because that is really his biggest challenge is to learn, learn every nuance to play pro quarterback. And, and that doesn't happen overnight. If it happens overnight, you've got an extremely special kid. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I think, you know, again, playing mistake-free, you get put in a preseason game and, and maybe you're playing with the twos or the threes and you're out there and you make some mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he gets a chance to play with the ones in preseason, that might be an indication which way this is leaning. But I don't think – I mean, we've got about two weeks here before we even – three weeks from tomorrow is the first preseason game. So we'll see what he does in practice. they got to – a lot of uh, a lot of padded practices, front loaded in their in their uh, training camp schedule. So we'll we'll find out in a couple of weeks where he stands. Well, whoever is under center at any point this season, Larry clearly is going to be dependent on the offensive line. And you look back at 2018. I don't know if there was a team that had to deal with so many injuries at one mm. position. Then my goodness, what the Washington Redskins had to deal with. We know they've got a lot of proven commodities on that offensive line, but there's some speculation about Trent Williams and his happiness and whether or not he's going to hold out at the left tackle spot. I know Eric Flowers, the former Giant, is now in the mix. What's the assessment to this group from a health perspective, also from a productivity standpoint? Well, you're right, Lance. Last year was just devastating on the offensive line. We didn't think that 2017 could be topped, but 2018 sure did. I think they went through eight guards last year. <laughs> Unreal. And it just was just incredible. And just every time you turned around, another guy was going down. And just – there were several occasions you had a guy come in on a Friday and he played on a Sunday. And that is not the – that's not your best plan. That's not a good strategy, I don't think. Yeah. So you bring up Trent. You know, Trent obviously wasn't here during the off-season program. He never did participate in the off-season program, but he didn't participate in the mandatory minicamp, which he had in the past. So we'll see. We'll see on his status when he gets there. you got some young players. Brandon Sheriff is 100% healthy. He was hurt last year. Morgan Moses, first offseason for him without a surgery. He is healthy. The center, Chase Roulier, seems to be in pretty good shape. Uh, drafted a couple of offensive linemen. Uh, Martin out of Indiana and Pierce Baker out of Alabama. Those two players can play guard. Pierce Baker can play center as well. And uh, Jaron Christian, the second, third round pick last year, uh, didn't play much because of an injury last year. And you mentioned Flowers, who have they have earmarked at guard because they, you know obviously the Redskins played the Giants <laughs> twice a year, and we saw Eric Flowers, and we know you know how our defensive ends you know played against Eric. But you know what? And maybe a change in position for a kid like that who does have ability uh, would be uh, would be the start of something new for him. Uh, but, you know, I think health-wise, they're okay. I think they got a little bit of depth this year. But when, your best offensive lineman is Trent Williams, and, and that right now is a question where everybody's waiting to see, you know, what happens next week. Well, you know, last year you got, people got really excited about Darius Geis at the beginning of the, you know, the preseason. Unfortunately, he had that torn ACL. Give us a little bit of update on him and, and where Adrian Peterson is going to fit into this role this year. I know he had obviously was forced into a lot of action because of the injury. Talk a little bit about the running the running back position in general, but more importantly about Darius Geis and, and his comeback. Well, you know, he's a, he's a unique individual. He's a, he's a very fiery guy, very passionate guy, and he didn't get a chance to play last year. First preseason game he went down, and, you know, obviously very long, grueling rehab for him. He really committed to it. A couple setbacks along the way, but uh, he put a he put a, a, a video of himself out 
uh, I think on Instagram yesterday, where he was just doing some maniacal drills running on the practice field here. I do think you will see very little of him early in camp. I think you know, the plan might be to make sure he's at the starting gate when the season starts. And Adrian Peterson played beyond expectations last year. Uh, he blew the team away when they needed a running back. They brought in a bunch to, to work out, and he, he wasn't barely sweating after the workout. So they said, wow, this guy's in pretty good shape. And you talk about a gas tank, he seems to have a bigger gas tank than most. So uh, I think he's going to be primed for a year. Chris Thompson, the third down back, uh, you know, has been healthy for the first time in offseason, didn't have any kind of setbacks this year. So he's he's looking real good in the offseason drills. P. Ryan was a draft pick a couple years ago. He got a lot of the first-team reps during the offseason because of the you know, absence of AP. He didn't participate in the voluntary program, and Geis you know, wasn't going to be practicing during the offseason. So I think they've got plenty of running running backs in the room, and Bryce Love, a pickup from Stanford, who's coming back from an injury in his senior year in college, uh, he had been projected as maybe the top running back two years ago, but he got hurt, so they took a shot on him. But again, back to the previous comment, we know ourselves, unless that offensive line is going to make some holes, your running backs aren't going to have anywhere to go. So a lot of optimism about the Redskins' running game. I I think they've got pretty good room of running backs uh, with the offensive line being healthy. And then Geis is kind of a wild card because he is an every-down back. And Chris Thompson is as well, but, you know, he's a little smaller. They'd prefer to use him in third down. And Adrian Peterson, you know, you want to keep feeding the beast the ball. So... It's a, it's a nice combination. I think there's good optimism on the running game this year for the Skins. And if you look at the numbers last season, to your point, Larry, Adrian Peterson, when he ran for 96 yards in a game, 5-2, and two, and then second half of the season, offensive line gets banged up, 2-7 and seven when he's below 96 yards. So I'm agreement with you. I mean, if the offensive line comes to play, he's healthy. They could certainly still be dangerous. We're talking to Larry Michael, the radio play-by-play announcer for the Washington Redskins. Then we get to the receiving core, Larry, and while I think there's some question marks on the offensive line, in my personal opinion, I think the receiving core may be the biggest question mark for this team. You lose Jamison Crowder, he goes to the Jets. Uh, There's some upside in a guy like Trey Quinn, who was hurt last season, but you know Josh Doxson, I think the clock's ticking there in terms of his consistency. You had Paul Richardson was banged up, and they just drafted Terry McLaurin. Uh, What is your feelings of this receiving core, which is going to be so critical obviously, to whichever quarterback plays the bulk of the reps this season. Well, I mean, it's almost like you're one of our fans there, Lance, because that's the emails <laughs> I get to the TV show all the time. You know, hey, well, where's the number one receiver? I had an email today. Who's the Redskins' number one receiver? You'd want it to be Josh Doxson. You'd want it to be Josh Doxson. He's a former first-round pick, and he's had a couple injuries along the way. He's in the last year of his contract, and normally when you see a player like that, you know, he's just going to go all out and try to just make something happen this year because he wants to, you know, he wants to be a highly paid wide receiver in the National Football League. To me, that's a great motivating factor. Paul Richardson got hurt last year, and he's that deep threat, but you don't know how he's going to figure in. You, you did mention Trey Quinn. Crowder became a little too expensive for the Red. I think the Redskins allowed him to go. As much as they didn't want to see him go, they weren't prepared to pay what was going to get paid for that slot receiver. But Trey Quinn had been the understudy and has great hands, great route running ability. And you mentioned McLaren, who's probably the fastest of the bunch. You did mention a guy named Ken Sims, who made the team last year, 6'4 receiver out of Alabama, made the team last year, and on the first kickoff, the opening kickoff of the opening game, had a high ankle sprain on special teams, 
and he was shelved. So he's kind of like the secret weapon. There's no secret weapons in the NFL, obviously. Everybody scouts everybody. <laughs> but he's a player that could step up unexpectedly. Someone who you, the Redskins fans know about, haven't seen much of him. Very talented, and if he, you know, if he can get him and get through, get through camp, everybody gets the starting gate healthy. You don't, you might not identify a number one receiver, but do you have to have a number one receiver? I guess maybe you do. Uh, you know, I think that could evolve over the season. Josh Doxson's a guy, you know, obviously playing final year of his contract. A lot of heat on him to to perform this year. You got some youngsters in there too. Kelvin Harmon, a player out of Jersey who went to NC State was NC State's all-time receiver. He looks like an outstanding player. Fell in the draft because of a slow time in the 40 at the Combine, but he looks the part, too. So I think they've got plenty of receivers. Might they lack a clear number one? Probably at this point they do. Hmm. Well, I know you have a number one tight end over there in Jordan Reed because he's a, he's a, he's a giant killer, along with uh, we're going to go to the defensive side. And um, one giant killer that I'm sure that – Eric Flowers is happy to see as a teammate as Ryan Kerrigan because I tell you that is a man he is a playmaking beast that that he all he does is make tackles and, and sacks against the Giants let's go to that defensive law actually just gonna stay with the linebackers I'm curious to see a little bit about what's happening um, with that defense and where they're going to be this year well, you mentioned Kerrigan, and you mentioned the obvious with Flowers. I didn't want to just flat out say that, but <laughs> I uh, did. Though. You know, obviously, we, we we all watched the same games the last few years, so you know. But Kerrigan is an outstanding player. It really takes nothing away from him, and he, it's, you're not pointing the finger at Eric. I mean, just Kerrigan is really good. But the fact that they got a chance to draft Montez Sweat in the first mm-hmm. round, a player that could be opposite Kerrigan, a player who on third down is going to have to demand attention, and Kerrigan, we you know, kind of like you know. Who's rushing the passer for the Redskins last couple of years? It's been Kerrigan, and who else? Now you put him in there, and he is a freak of nature. He looks a lot like, uh, you know, Kers or Haley. He's got this long, lean body, and he's a pass rusher. So that's going to help Kerrigan a lot. Ryan Anderson, uh, third-year player out of Alabama, has, has kind of had, we had Preston Smith last year. He left via free agency, so Ryan Anderson is going to step in there too. So I think they're pretty good shape at outside linebackers. The loss of Reuben Foster on the first day of OTAs at the time was really devastating. It was an emotional loss because the guy had gone through so much uh, to become active to play, to go through all of the issues he went through, and he really was just a model model guy. And really, you get to know a guy if you work in the same location. You guys know sometimes what you hear isn't what you get. And this guy was great. He went down you know, basically the first day of OTAs. So they kind of have to reassess where they're at inside. Drafted a guy, Cole Holcomb, out of North Carolina. Uh, he's a, a little bit undersized for linebacker, uh, but he's got great speed, makes a lot of tackles. And last year, Sean Deion Hamilton, another Alabama player, was drafted. And he was coming off an injury his last year at Alabama. And by the end of the year, he had stepped in at the inside backer spot, and, and he looked really good. Uh, so, you know, I guess there's some question marks there. No question marks about the strength of the team. The heart of the team is the defensive line of this football team. Mm -hmm. They invested two first-round picks. They invested money in Matt Ioannidis out of Flemington, New Jersey. He's really grown as a player. They've got a couple other guys who give them depth. Tim Settle, Caleb Brantley. The defensive line of this team is the heart and soul of the team, and it's also the heart and soul of the leadership of the team. They bring this attitude, and I I want to say it's like they like to brag. It's a little bit of their Alabama attitude, Mm -hmm. but – you know what's going to happen? It's pretty much what's going to happen when we get out there. It's in our hands, and I think they have taken leadership reins of the team, 
And it's undeniable if you're around the football team, the defensive line is the strength of the team. So that's going to help the guys in the back end. And, and again, a lot of familiarity here because uh, we have your former number 21, of course, here. Mm-hmm. He cannot wear 21. <laughs> but 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 there he wore 21. And, and just to look at that guy in practice and say – you know, I, you know, how, how did he end up with the Redskins? I just, I can't believe that that he's on the team. He's and it's obviously all these Sean Taylor references, and he idolized Sean Taylor, who is still, you know, revered in this building. It just only seems like yesterday he passed away, and it's been, you know, over ten years. But to put him in the in the secondary has completely changed the complexion of the secondary, and he's such a team first guy, from what I can see, and, and another instant leader. So, to me, strength of the team is the defense. I don't think I'm telling any secrets by saying that. They've invested a lot of money in the defense, and they're going to have to step up. The beginning of the schedule is very tough. You know, a lot of NFC East games for the Patriots in there early as well, open with the Eagles. So, you know, the schedule, you're going to find out early about this football team, how ready they're going to be. Absolutely, and Larry, you just brought up Landon Collins. It's amazing. The more and more you list the personnel, how much crossover there is between the Giants and the Redskins. It's so many former players. I know DRC also on the Redskins roster. And you mentioned the impact that you've already seen from Landon Collins, but big picture perspective, even beyond Collins, the safety position, Larry, there's been a lot of turnover there in Washington. How much does Landon, in your opinion, provide stability, be that stabilizing force for the back end so that the corners even, you get better production out of them for what maybe they were missing as a security blanket at the safety position in years prior. Well, Lance, I mean, I can only talk about it being on paper, right? Because we haven't seen these guys. They've got to gel as a unit. But as you look at it on paper and you look at him on the practice field and you get to meet him, talk to him, and know what he brings the team, think you're on the money. I mean, he is a solidifying factor. Maybe for the entire defense, because the defensive line is already solid. Uh, those guys, just they're a unit within a unit, and they're a very, very tight-knit group. Now, you put a guy back there like him who's going to be a traffic cop back there, but also who's going to be asked to do a lot of different things. And so he is prepared to do that. He's not a rookie. He's not a second-year guy. And, you know, putting him back there, I think that's a great point. The Redskins have had a revolving door at safety pretty much for the last 10 years. I mean, they thought they had a tandem in Sean Taylor and Laurent Landry that would last them a good long time. And obviously, history is what it is. And really, since then, that's, you're going back away. So they, you know, that would have evolved anyway. But really haven't had a, a solid presence back there. Maybe DJ Swearinger was that for a couple of years. But as things began to pile up last year and injuries began to pile up, he ended up getting released at the end of the year during the season. And I think that That was was a move looking at the future that they needed to, you know, maybe get guys in here that, you know, we're going to be leaders and that we're going to, you know, talk to talk and walk to walk. Collins comes in here, first day here, got immediate respect from his teammates. And, you know, getting to know him a little bit again, you guys know him a lot better than me. He was there for many, many years. But he seems like an all-business guy. He's not a guy that's yapping that much. I don't see him yapping that much. So we'll see. We'll see. But I think you're on point. I think he's a solidifying factor for the secondary, which really needed one. Well, one thing you're going to see out of him is he's um, he's a gamer. The guy he doesn't like not like to come off the field. Um, he's that he's the ultimate box safety, if you will. He makes a lot of tackles, and you know those type of players they that just lead that's leadership on the field leadership. He's not a big talker off the field either. 
and that's why the guys like him in the locker room. So I think that he'll be a good addition to that secondary, and um, hopefully, you know, he doesn't have two good days at, during the season. <laughs> well, he's got a running back to deal with, yeah. so I think that's they're probably right. eyeballing each other already in the open field. So that question's been asked of Lennon quite a bit, and you know, I, and that's what that's what makes this rivalry better than most. Because I, you know, I, the Redskins hate the Giants, but you're not the Cowboys. That's right. Yeah, and I agree. Okay, I yeah. think that everybody is safe to say that, and I and. And we've had, we've had one of one of my former partners is a very unique individual. Uh, he is pretty much a Hall of Famer with two organizations, and he's not on the broadcast crew anymore. But he taught me about that Redskins Giant rivalry. A guy named Sam Huff. Mm-hmm. Sam yeah. Huff told me when he was with the Giants and Allie Sherman, man, he, they would consider the Redskins two wins automatic before the season started. But then he got traded to the Redskins. And he wanted nothing more than just to annihilate and Allie Sherman. <laughs> and in fact, one year he called the timeout when the Redskins were up uh, 68 to 42, so they kick a field goal to make it 71-42. <laughs> so you guys, you guys, that's a little bit of the Redskins Giants history, um, you know. And, and Sam, Sam again revered in both organizations. So you know, I think, and now you got this quarterback situation that's gonna, you know, obviously, how, how often, how often is that going to be mentioned when these two teams play? Can only imagine. I mean, maybe, yeah, yeah. And the question would be, the first time they play, will either of these young guys be playing? That's week four. Will either of these young guys be playing week four? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. That's well, interesting. We'll see. That's yeah. it. If, well. it, if it was week eight, I think it'd be a little different conversation because there's more of a chance for the, either one of these teams to start to go south, and then you kind of know that these young guys are eventually going to make it into the lineup. But I, I don't know. That's going to be a tough question. Well, it certainly will be a conversation when they meet again in week 16. I that's think that's right. fair. There we go. And yeah. we got yeah. some time to go. We, we, we will then. indeed, Larry. He is Larry Michael, the Redskins radio play-by-play announcer. Larry, really appreciate the time and the insight. Always good talking with you, and look forward to crossing paths this season. Thank Thanks you so much. so much, Larry. You got it, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. You got it. Larry Michael, once again, weighing in on the outlook of the Washington Redskins. A lot of great stuff in terms of the question marks that they have on offense and defense. And it's interesting because it's almost like the complete opposite of the Giants, right? Their strength is defense, as Mm -hmm. Larry pointed out, right? The Giants have more question marks, and the Giants feel a little bit better maybe about their offense going into the season. But, you know, you look at that Redskins offense, it is a big question mark. I mean, at the receiver position, I mean, those that's not a – that's not a – in my opinion, that is not a very strong wide receiver. Well, I mean, that's why I brought that up. It's, yeah. uh, it's unbelievable. I'm looking at these names. And, you know, maybe they prove us wrong, but, I mean, this is not a good situation. And, you know, with uh, that offensive line, if it – last year, I remember – remember we were – it was unbelievable what the Redskins did with that offensive line. They had nobody last year. I Especially mean, the nobody. second game. Because the first game, the Redskins ran all over the Giants. AP had that big run. Yes. But they were healthy. The offensive yes. line was healthy. Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, – so we'll see what happens. But that's a good – you know, I, I, I feel like Dwayne Haskins is going to be that his, – his acumen is pretty good. He's, he, I mean, the guy can – he really is good as far as the game of football and understanding and how quickly he's going to be able to turn around at the next level is something to be seen. But, you know, you look at Case Keenum, a guy who's been in the league a long time and have done plenty of of offenses around where he's been at. Um, I would pencil in him as the game one starter. But I but I feel like it's not going to be how bad Case plays. It's going to be when Dwayne Haskins, the coaching staff, feels he's ready and then he's going to go in. Well, and the other thing that we didn't necessarily have time to bring up because it's pure speculation, 
How much does Jay Gruden's job security, Jeff, influence the decisions he makes at the quarterback position? You know, he's even jokingly thrown out. I don't know if I'm going to be here next season. Uh, Once again, everybody loves to read into that, and I don't know if there is anything to read into that. But if Case is playing decent, the team is, though not necessarily translating that to wins, does now he have motivation? All right, let's see what we could do with the young quarterback. Maybe the front yeah. office feels oh, I could develop him. Well, you know, listen, if there is one team in the National Football League that gets the heat, the heat comes from that front office and Dan Snyder. Absolutely. You know right? it. Dan Snyder picks up the phone and calls down there or whatever it's on. Uh, this guy's going in. Hey, it's week five. Let's I want to see him now. Yeah. He's going in. It's yeah. something I think you got to take into consideration. And I'm with you in terms of the receiving core. I think that the Redskins have potential. You know, I read some of these names. Trey Quinn, I'm very high on. Yeah. I would not be surprised if he has a really good season. Terry McLaurin, their early draft pick. So, you know, those two guys could be productive. It's just the coulda, woulda, shoulda game a little bit with the Redskins. You know, if Josh Doxson made some catches, we'd probably be talking about him a little bit differently. I remember there was a Monday night game, Jeff, Chiefs-Redskins, Kirk Cousins. He he doesn't have a great primetime record, specifically on Monday night. Well, that game, he throws into the end zone, perfectly placed for Josh Doxson, would have been a go-ahead touchdown, and Doxson yeah. drops it. Yeah. You know, does everybody remember that when you think of a random Monday night game? No, which is another reason why I hate quarterback records. But we'll save that for a whole other program here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. In the meantime, let's head to the phone lines and try to give you an opportunity to weigh in on a few topics as we end the program. 201-939-4513. Keith is in Cranford. Keith, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hi, Keith. Okay. Uh, I just want to say I love your show. Well, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it. And I've been watching it for years. Thanks so much. Um, it's the first time I've ever been able to get in and give you a call. Great. And, glad uh, to have you. But I also helped build the original Giant Stadium and built the, helped build the uh, new stadium also. So wow, it's, very it's, nice. We did a hell of a job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but the main thing that I, I, I'm, what I can say is I, I like the way the, they redid the offensive line. Uh, I'm, proof is in the pudding when we start putting pads on and everything else. I want to see what it really can do. Hopefully it gives uh, Eli a bit more time because I really do like Eli. And uh, I want to see them uh, perform, uh, be able to open up some holes for the run also. But the main, main, main things that I'm looking at is uh, on defense because in the last quite a few years, we've been, tight ends have been eating our lunch, and I'm hoping Peppers is part of the answer. But I, I like the fact that we really have, if we can come up with a strong secondary, I think it can solve a lot of our problems because I, I don't I think we might have a bit of a pass rush, but I'm not sure it's how good it's gonna be. So I just wanted to know what you thought about how we're gonna be covering the the tight ends. Well I think that I think at the linebacker, the outside linebacker position, okay, um, you get you got a little bit of, you got a little bit of better speed, okay? I, I think that's where it's all about. I mean your 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 linebacker's gotta be able to cover. And in years past, I mean, you're right about the tight ends. I mean, let's just talk about Jason Witten. I mean, and 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 um, and Reed, and just the, the Ertz, and I mean, the the list goes on. And not that those guys are chopped liver; they're pretty darn good tight ends. But for some reason, the Giants have always had a problem covering those guys. So I do believe that Jabril Peppers will be will helpful there because I think Jabril Peppers is a better cover safety than Landon Collins was. Um, oh, I absolutely agree with that. So we'll see. But but you're right; the proof is in the pudding here. And I think that that is a point that Coach Betcher and is certainly making on this defense is that we got to cover better from the tight end position because offenses today, 
they run that personnel where they have that line, those linebackers get matched up on those tight ends. That's a mismatch, and that's what they're trying to go at. Another, yeah, I think we, we, we might have a mismatch for other teams I when it comes so. to our tight ends, hopefully. Well, if Evan Engram stays healthy, absolutely. Sure. I mean, if he can yeah. build off of what he did in the final four games, yeah. uh, I'm certainly with you there, Keith. Another thing that I want to throw out on the defensive side of the ball that I'm not saying is going to be lined up on tight ends, but is somebody, Jeff, that they could experiment with is Julian Love. Mm-hmm. One of their draft picks because Love's got the versatility to be a corner slash safety, you know, play out of the slot, move to the outside. That's a guy that I think is intriguing to watch, depending on how quickly he picks up on the defense that they may want to throw out there too in those circumstances. Sure. I mean, the thing, but the thing I feel is also that the, what they're doing with the defense is up, they're giving it a lot more flexibility. So I think they you'll be going to be harder to. Uh, figure out what they're doing because they have people that can do more things together, you know? Well, there's and, that versatility factor, I, yeah, I think, to yeah. your point. And that, that, that makes it a lot more interesting. And if you can not show them what they're going to do and sort of keep them guessing a little bit more, I think that's helpful. Well, I think you bring up a really good point, and we'll let you go on that note, Keith. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks so much for following the show. And piggybacking off of his point, I think when you're playing the Giants' defense this season, Jeff, and normally you always look for, all right, who's the guy that maybe is going to demand the double team, Jeff? Who do we want to throw away from, we want to avoid? I don't know if the Giants necessarily have one or two guys that immediately draws in the attention of an opposing offensive coordinator. So that alone, I think, goes to the point that Keith was bringing up, that there is a bit of an unknown. And with a bit of an unknown and guys being moved around and mixed and matched, you know, who's going to lead this team in sacks? I think you can throw out a bunch of different names. You know, who's going to be the top coverage guy? Who's going to be maybe one of the young guys that was a little bit quiet last season that's going to emerge? That adds some intrigue to this defense. Yeah, and we talk about other defenses and other teams. You right away can pretty much come up with the player that you just asked about. You know, this, this team, no, you really can't. You know, who is, you, who is going to be your guy that leads the team in sacks? Is it going to come from the interior or is it going to come from the outside? I don't know. To be honest with you, I actually think it's going to come from inside. I in really interior do. Interior defensive line, interesting. I really do. So and you mean like a Dexter Lawrence or a B.J. Hill? Yeah. That type I, of I feel Dexter Lawrence is kind of the X factor in this defense because I think he's so versatile how he can be, how they can use him. But... I feel like he's a, he, he just understands the game of football so well and that not only is he going to get in the face of the quarterbacks, you watch, he will be knocking down balls at the line of scrimmage because he's a big dude. But I also, by watching him on film, I see him he, and seeing him in a practice, he has good presence as far as where the football is going, both in the air and on the ground. And I think he's going to make some big plays. And you got, you know, you got the whole, just that whole defensive line I think is fun to watch. It's been finally built up to, I think, that that's where the sacks are going to come from. Now, listen, um, Carter and Marcus Golden, of course, they've got to have good years. I, I think they want to. Marcus Golden, is, is, is that guy has a motor, man. You know, so he will be – I saw him in some of the OTA practices. That guy's in the face of the quarterbacks every team. Now, granted, they're going against some – you know, Nate Solder is not there. So, and Mike Remmers is, and not, Mike Remmers is not there. So who are they behind? They're behind the second-team tackles. And so – you know, yeah, he makes some plays in there, but I think those could, the sacks could come from the outside, but I have a feeling that the leaders are going to be from the inside. Well, I think Golden's an X factor for what you just laid out. If Golden taps back into what he did in 2016, yeah. Jeff, I mean, that yeah. would be a huge bonus for the Giants. And you know, here's another name 
O'Shane Zimenez. You know, maybe Zimenez surprises a lot of people and has an impressive rookie campaign. He gives you something. That's also, I think, a pleasant surprise. There's no question. It's just a matter of his maturity and how and how he can pick up things. You know, folks, I can tell you that, you know, just by listening to people and you, they're always they say the same things. Rookies are rookies. You're obviously you're rookies because it's your first year. You know that, but it's you're there. It's tough. It's really difficult. Because the game at this level is much different than the game. Talk about Dwayne Haskins, okay, Ohio State. He has to learn how to call plays in the huddle. You know, when he was at Ohio State, they were calling the plays on the sideline. So I'm, I was going to ask him about that, um, Larry, about how, how did he see, how did that go? How did it transition him getting the plays in, in, in minicamp and OTAs? And that's something different because from a college player standpoint, you come up to the line of scrimmage, you're looking at coverages and this and that. You don't have to remember a play. Because they're giving it to you as you're seeing it on the field. That's a different step that you have to take. And that, that takes some maturity. And that's what I'm leading into like these other guys, like the X-Man. He's going to have to learn the game of football from the Coach Betcher's perspective and how to play his defense. Oh, that's a great point. Plus, Haskins also is only just a one-year starter. That's so right. A lot less experience than some of these other rookies, specifically like a guy like Daniel Jones. And it's so difficult to play quarterback in the National Football League because it takes more than just throwing the football. It's, it takes you got to learn how to call plays. you got to learn how to read defenses. You have to just be so much more into the game. And situational football, understand where you are in the field at times when there's two-minute game and you're in the four-minute game and you're you know before the half, how many timeouts you have. There's usually a lot of guys in college that just the coaches are doing all that for you. That's not what you're going to be asked to do that yourself now. And it's a big learning process. So that is going to wrap up today's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Certainly appreciate everybody wow, for tuning in. that was a in. quick show. It was. Well, that, when you preview two opponents, <laughs> it flies by when you're having fun. And speaking of that, tomorrow we will continue our preview of the NFC East, the Cowboys and the Eagles, and that is going to wrap up every opponent that the Giants will see at some point this season. But we appreciate everybody tuning yes, in for we Wednesday's edition of the program. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. Big Blue Kickoff Live is always presented by Coors Light. For Jeff Eagles, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. We will speak to you tomorrow right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.